0: All right, go ahead and grab a seat and grab your Bible. And I'm going to invite you on this chilly fall morning to turn with me to the New Testament book of Matthew, chapter 1. Matthew, chapter 1. As you're turning there, let me just say another welcome to all of our guests this morning for friends and family day. It's so good to see so many of you. Yeah, I'd say new faces, but the reality is... Some of the old faces here are still new faces to us. Uh, My wife and I and our kids have been here just about three months. And so, uh, just still getting to know so many people. But it's good to have you here and glad that you're joining us today. After service, very important announcement. After service, as soon as we're done, if you have kids, you pick them up from We Worship if they're in We Worship. But if you don't have kids in We Worship, or even if you do but you don't want them anymore. No, 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 go get them anyway. As soon as we're done, you go out through these doors here or these, and you work your way around to our gymnasium. You just kind of come down the hall to our gym. We have a spread like you would not believe, ready for your enjoyment. And uh, and you say, well, I I didn't bring anything. That's okay. We brought extra for you. So you come, you be a part of it after uh, worship. And this is just a chance for us to get to know one another a little better because here's the reality. Our church is not simply a church. This is a family. We are a body of believers, but we are a family, and we want you to come sit around one of our four billion seated table in the gymnasium and get to know you just a little better. Now, today I'm starting a two-week series entitled Friends to Family. Next week, we're going to look at perhaps one of the oddest passages in the New Testament. But today, we're going to look at um, one of the ones that you will never, ever, 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 ever hear, most likely maybe ever in church, let alone on a day when we have guests in the church. This is not a passage that most people turn to for inspiration, for encouragement, for enlightenment. But I think it's all there. So we're going to get there in just one moment. Now, before we do, I've entitled this series Friends to Family because I'm going to give you an unshocking statement, but I think very, very true. Are you ready? Here it is. Every family... Every relationship that you see with a mom and a dad or a husband and wife, with kids or whatever, every family relationship you see, if you track it back far enough, began when a couple of strangers became friends, grew to love one another, and went from friends to family. Every family started where two people didn't know each other, they got to know each other, grew as friends, grew to love one another in many cases, and then went from friends to family. This was the situation for my wife and I. We've been married now over 13 years, coming up on 14 years. Um, we've, been, we've known each other, though, for almost 16 years. Actually, I think maybe this week is the week we met each other 16 years ago. Hey, baby. And so... Um, <clears throat> 16 years ago, I met my wife while a student at Lipscomb University. There was a worship time off campus. I went there because another girl invited me. Hello. And so I went, couldn't find her, sat in the only seat that was there. Lights dim, we start to sing, and my wife-to-be shows up. She comes in just a minute late. That's not her norm, but she comes in late. She sits down next to me, because that is the only seat left in the entire place. I mean, you talk the providence of God. He set it up. Boy, meet, girl. Enjoy. And so we sit there. I say hi to her. She smiles at me, and it's like the smile of an angel. Brownie points. And so, I mean, she just, I mean, beautiful, and I'm like, yes, this is going to be awesome. She grins at me, but then she turns away, and she's like, I'm here for another man. His name is Jesus. You're not Jesus. And she just sings the whole time. And, and so I got to know her a little bit that night, and that began the age-old process that, that most of you men know what I'm about to talk about, the process of following a woman around wherever she goes, no matter where she goes, right? So wherever on campus, she'd show up, and I just so happened to be there. It's like, oh, you're here too? She's like, yeah, dude, this is my dorm. Oh, whoops. And then, I, you know, I'd leave. But wherever she was, I would follow her, we'd find each other, and and we began to become friends. And I remember the night where, you know, I realized that maybe this was more than just friendship. Uh, We were outside of the library there on Limpsum Campus, and uh, it was a cool night, sort of chilly, and we were talking. Uh, Lindsay, my wife, is brilliant. She's just much smarter than me. You know that if you've met her. She was a double major, English and French. And so I asked her. I said, well, "Well, can you teach me some French?" And 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 she goes, "Well, sure." And so she starts to do a phrase, and I'll be like, "Well, wow, it's beautiful. What does that mean?" She'd be like, "You ran over my puppy," you know, or something. And I was like, "Wow!" But in French, it sounds so nice. I mean, it's so nice. And so she'd do a different phrase, and I say, "Well, what does that mean?" And she'd tell me what it meant. And and finally, she got to this one phrase, and I've shared this with some of you. She got this one phrase. She goes, "Je t'aime, mon ami." I'm like, "Oh, wow, that's just beautiful. What does that mean?" And she paused. She looked me in the eyes. And she said, I love you, my friend. And guys, I paused. I looked her in the eyes. And I said, Thank you. (laughs) By God's grace... She has a sense of humor and a whole lot of grace herself. And we started dating and, and we got married and we've now enjoyed almost 14 years together. We have two little kids. And, but here's the point. Our relationship, like any other marriage, any other family, if you track it back far enough, began with two strangers who became friends and went from friends to family. Here's what I want you to hear this morning. If you are not a Christ follower... Everyone in this room who knows Jesus Christ, hear me now, everyone in here who says Jesus is the love of our lives, Jesus is all there is to us, Jesus is the reason for our existence. We were at one time strangers who became friends, who went to family. And I am going to unapologetically tell you our hope and prayer for you this morning is that we can set up the first date with you and Jesus today and when you walk out of here you say he is my love as well. That is the goal. That's the reason we exist as a church. In fact, here's why we are here, family. The reason Clear Creek exists is to lead our city, to lead our family, to lead our friends, to lead whomever God puts in our path into a relationship with God and to one another. That's it. That's why we're here. And so we're going to dive into that this morning. But here's the reality. Here's what I know about you. Even if I don't know your particular story, I know this. Every one of us, There are reasons we do not get into relationships. And one of the most common reasons when I visit with people is for fear that something in their past will come to light in the present. So we keep people at arm's length, we keep people at a distance because we do not want what came up in the past to come up in the present. And I'll tell you, that's one of the reasons many people never step across the line and say, I do to Jesus, because they're like, oh no, if I tell him that I'm a sinner, he'll figure it out. I've got news for you, he already knows your past and he wants to give you a future. And so I want us to look at a passage this morning, And this is going to be one of those odd passages. In fact, this is the genealogy of Jesus. You say, the what? The lineage of Jesus Christ. Where he came from. You ask him, who's your daddy? He'd say, God. No, no, no. Who's like your earthly dad? Oh, that's Joseph. And this is the genealogy of Jesus. You say, what does this have to do with anything? I'm glad you asked. Let's look at it together. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. and um, We're just going to read a bunch of names. Okay? Now, here's the trick, by the way. Just uh, if ever you are called upon to read names of people in the Bible out loud to others, here's the key. You don't have to know how to say the name. All you have to do is sound very confident in how badly you say the name, and everyone will go, well, I, I didn't realize that's how you pronounce that. Well, yes, of course, that's how you pronounce it. So here we go confidence. This is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. The son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boy, what a cool name, by the way. What's your name? Boaz. Okay, cool. Father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of a name we're most of us familiar with, of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Not such a cool name. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Ammon, Ammon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. We're almost there. Hang with me. Verse 12. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, Abiud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Eliud, Eliud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born, let's say these words together, Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Messiah. God bless you. You are dismissed. Now, I mean, what do you do with this? Here's the big point. If you don't get anything else out of what we're going to talk about today, go ahead and put this key idea up here. If you don't remember anything else, this is simply it. If you give God your past or your present, he will give you a future. If you give God your past with all the junk, all the fear, all the shame, if you will just say, it's yours, the beautiful promise is that he will then give you a future. You say, where do you get that from this passage? I am so glad you asked. Here's what we see from this beautiful passage. If you know the stories of the men and women from Jesus' line, you will realize that those from whom Jesus came all had a past. Yet he used it to give all of us a future. In fact, when we think about some of the things that keep us from following God, many of us think that, man, my past has derailed God's plan. Many of us have this idea that what I have done, what you have done, is so big. It is so bad. It is so beyond what God could manage that what we've done, somehow his plan has been derailed. Here's the first thing you need to know is that God's plan is bigger than your past. In verse 2, we read about this man named Jacob. Everybody say, "Jacob." Jacob. Jacob. And he is the son of Isaac. Now Jacob had a brother named Esau. Jacob and Esau. And we're told in verse 2, if you want to put this up on screen, Jacob was the father of a boy named Judah. Now Judah was going to be the great, 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 great granddaddy of the kings of Israel. And finally Jesus Christ. Now how did Jacob become the father of Judah? Like what was the process by which he became the daddy of this boy? If you know the story, it's a really really twisted messed up story. Jacob, son of Isaac, has a brother named Esau. Esau's the older brother. How many of you real quick? How many of you are older siblings? Can I see some hands? Oh man, are there moments that you just, you, really, you think that your younger siblings, okay, this is for you then, for all of you. The younger sibling, Jacob, wants his brother's inheritance because, as the older brother, the older brother gets the lion's share, the portion of the inheritance from his dad when his dad dies. But Jacob wants it. So, what does he do? He lies. He dresses up like his brother. His daddy's eyesight's really bad at this point. He goes into his dad's tent and tricks his father into thinking that he is his older brother and he steals from his older brother his inheritance. Now, quick question. You think Esau was ticked off about this church? Oh, yeah. Jacob goes on the run. He is now having to leave home. He is on the run trying to stay alive. Hear me now. Our sin does have consequences. What we do does have consequences. But he goes on the run. He doesn't see his family again, completely blows up his family. He just so happens, so get this now, he just so happens to meet a man who happens to have one daughter that he really wanted to marry. He tries to marry her. The father then tricks him and he ends up marrying another girl. It's a whole... It's an an episode of Jerry Springer in the Old Testament. That's what it is. He marries this woman named Leah and through her has a son named Judah. Now here's the interesting thing. If you ask Jacob, Jacob, was marrying Leah your plan A or your plan B? He'd have said, she was my plan B. Jacob was going on the run from your family, was that your plan A or your plan B? He'd say, man, that's my plan B. Jacob was having a son named Judah because of a woman you didn't really want to marry, leaving a home you didn't want to leave. Was that your plan A or your plan B? That was my plan B, he'd tell you. But as we have the vantage point of Scripture, we see that although it may have been his plan B, it was never God's plan B. Leah, Judah, Judah, God's plan A. You say, how is that possible? God can see through history every good and bad decision you will ever make. And because of his infinite power, love, and grace, he can take your worst moment and weave it in such a way that his ultimate good comes from it. Hear me now. Your past is not bigger than God's plan. So if you hand God your past or your present, he'll give you a future. Here's the second piece that gives me such hope and encouragement when I look at this passage Do you notice that there are five names listed, five women listed in this passage? Now, in the ancient world, this would have been unheard of. Now, in our day, it's not unheard of. We value women far more, and so we talk about the women in our lives, the moms, the sisters, the aunts, the uncles, or the aunts, the the grandmothers, not the uncles, the aunts, the grandparents. But in their world, women were not valued in the same way. So in a family genealogy, you would not talk about the women, you'd only talk about the men. In fact, in the ancient world, a genealogy was not simply a genealogy. A genealogy was also your resume. Now, quick question. Uh, show of hands, how many of you have ever written a resume? Can I see some hands? And what do you do with a resume? You talk about your work experience. You talk about your education You talk about who you are. You highlight the good things so you can get a job. In the ancient world, you used your family genealogy as your resume because it showed people, this is who I really am. I'm a somebody because I came from a somebody. In fact, it was not uncommon in the ancient world for people to try to omit people from their genealogy. King Herod, the king during the time of Jesus' birth, was famous for destroying records of his genealogy because he did not want people to know some of the undesirable people who came before him in his family. Understand, your genealogy was who you were. You put your best foot forward. You don't talk about the undesirables. And yet, God points out those that everyone else ignores. God is not ashamed of you, my friend, even if others or you yourself are He highlights you. And these weren't just women. These weren't just run-of-the-mill. These were a cross-section of people who were outsiders, outsiders, outsiders. Four of the names in particular. You have two. Go ahead and put this up in fact. Let's just look at these. Notice we have three of them here. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth. If you know anything about their stories, and I encourage you to look them up this week, Tamar and Rahab both had a pretty sinful past. Tamar, she has a child who comes through the lineage of Jesus. How does she have that child? Well, let's just say she gets close to her father-in-law. Rahab? Who's Rahab? Well, she is a woman who would, well, she was an easy person. Let's just put it that way. And you have these two women and yet they are both in the lineage of Jesus. If you go and look at the Old Testament law, who could be close to God and who had to stay far away? Those with a past like these had to stay far away. But it gets bigger than that. In fact, Rahab was not just someone who had a checkered past with what she did. She was from a pagan nation in Canaan. And Ruth, she was a Moabitess from the land of Moab. Again, they were not allowed to be close to the people of God and intermarry in certain ways. And yet, they become the people through whom the Savior of the world would come. And then you get this last one. Go ahead and put this up. Then you have this fourth woman who's mentioned here, but her name's not even given. Do you notice this? It's not even told who this is. Now, Bible students, how many of you know who Uriah's wife was? What's her name, church? Church? Bathsheba. Now here's the thing. Why didn't he just say Bathsheba? Here's why. He says, no, no, no. Uriah's wife. See, David was the father of Solomon whose mother was Uriah's wife or had been Uriah's wife. Why say it that way? The writer is wanting to point out that David, the great king of Israel, the one that everyone else looked to as the perfect king, the one who's the standard bearer for what a king should be, That he was a man who wanted another man's wife. And in an attempt to cover up what he did, had that man killed. He had Uriah killed so he could have Uriah's wife. Do you understand that Jesus does not hide his heritage? He says, those are my people. He is not ashamed of of you. It is because of my past. It is because of your past that Christ died. He is not ashamed of your past, my friend. In fact, go to Hebrews chapter 2 verse 11 this week and look at it. Jesus, we're told, is not ashamed to call you his sister or his brother. He loves you. And you need to understand some of us think that God saved us from our sins but he just doesn't like us very much. What this genealogy tells me is not only if I give God my past, he'll give me a future, but he is not ashamed of me. He is glad that I'm part of his family. There's one more thing I want you to see in verse 17 that I think is just beautiful. Notice what it says here. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from the ...from David to the exile to Babylon... ...and then 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Do you notice a repeated word here, church? 14. Now, in the Hebrew culture, numbers have meaning. We know this, right? So the number 7 is the number for perfection. Or numbers also can represent people. So in the book of Revelation, you have the number 666... ...which represents the Antichrist. Well, the number 14 also has a symbolic meaning... I want to show you something real cool because I think it's just incredible because you need to know that your God, your Jesus, your King, He not only has all this love for you, He has the power to pardon you for your past. Go ahead and show this. I want you to see this. If you were to write the name for King David in Hebrew, it would look like this. D-V-D. They, they omitted the vowels. So go ahead and put this next slide up here. David. Now, interestingly enough, they have this little game where they would find numbers and names and put them to, together. So the Hebrew alphabet, the fourth letter of the Hebrew alphabet is the same as ours. It's the letter D. Go ahead and put this up here. So D, it's four. The V is the sixth letter in the alphabet. And then D is the fourth letter in the alphabet. Now, church, math students, if you add four plus six plus four, what do you get? Fourteen. So when the Hebrew readers would hear 14, 14, 14, they were hearing David, 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 the greatest king, the greatest king. And Matthew is making a theological point. He's not simply saying Jesus had these many ancestors. He is saying that Jesus Christ, you think David's great, but Jesus is the king of kings of kings, the greatest king of all. What happens if you live in an ancient country, in an ancient culture ruled by a king, if you break the rule, if you commit treason against the king, the king has the right to execute you and the king has the right to pardon you. Understand, my sin is not just a sin against me. It's a sin against my king. It is treason. And the rightful punishment is my death But we have a king who humbled himself, died on a cross so that he could pardon me and you for our sins. Hear me now. Jesus has the power to pardon you from your past. The things that you are ashamed of, the things that hold on to you, the things that wake you up in the middle of the night, he says, I have forgiven you. I have paid the price. I have given you a hope and a future. And here's the beautiful thing, church. If you are in Christ, then you are now a part of His genealogy. There are stories of people who would find out that they were some long-lost child of a king, of a queen. They spent so many years as a peasant But then the day came, they learned that they are not really peasants. They are princes and princesses in disguise. They have royal blood coursing through their veins. And this is what Matthew would have us know. That if you are in Christ, you are royalty. Because you come from the royal line of Jesus Christ himself. This is why church, friends... When you give God your past, he will give you a future. He does not look at you and say, I don't want you. He says, you're my boy, you're my girl. I love you. You come. Be a part of the family of God. Hear me now. The greatest joy that we will see today is if anyone in here would take a step closer to God. Maybe that would be simply you saying yes to Jesus and saying, I want to follow you better. I've been following, but I want to follow better. Maybe for some it's, I want to put Jesus on in baptism. I want to come into relationship and go from being a casual observer or a friend to being a part of the family. It's interesting when a child is born there's always water involved isn't there and when a person comes into the family of God water is involved and we come out new and different I know some of you in here I don't know your story but I know you're thinking well you you don't know what I've done you don't know where I've been in our church We have people who have all sorts of pasts. We have people in this church who used to walk the streets for money. We have people who fought with addiction for years. We have people who have been divorced. We have people who have had abortions or paid for them. And hear me out, none of those things are good. Don't don't confuse what I'm saying. None of those things are good. They break the heart of our God. But even though none of those things are good, we have found a good God who forgives all of those things. And his name is Jesus. That's why this is called the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. Good news, not good advice. Good advice says this is what you need to do. Change, work harder, try more, do something different, get your life together. How many of us are a little sick and tired of just more good advice? Most of us, I've found, don't have the ability to take all the good advice that we've been given. But good news is different from advice. Advice says this is what you do. Good news says this is what has been done for you.